Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Uh, okay. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Building Science to the Building Science Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christopher Irwin. Pleased, as always, to be here with my friend Miguel. Hey, everyone. Happy New Year. We've uh, done some resting over the holidays, and we've done a whole lot of thinking since we've come back from the holidays, and we're really excited to be here talking to you today. So that's a good intro, actually. In fact, this format is going to be slightly different. Instead of an interview, it's going to be a conversation between... uh, Friends, collaborators, co-conspirators, that's the two of us. Believe it or not, this is season eight, y'all. Season eight. It's insane that we've been doing this for eight years, or I guess this is your eight, right? Uh, When we started the show, I can't imagine a future that looks like this, right? If I put myself back in that place, we have done, we talked about so much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been really kind of swimming underwater here as a company. Um, and, and that's what we want to talk about. We've been asked actually a lot. We've had a lot of meetings over the last year or so. And uh, at the end of it, people say like, why don't you put this stuff on the podcast? And uh, it's partly because it seems self-serving. So with that in mind, we're going to be talking to you today about the business of building science. And uh, just as a quick intro, building science is implicitly outcome focused and it is implicitly system-focused, right? So by systems, uh, we're actually talking systems theory and systems of systems. And so we have done some um, seminars over the last year or so on expanded building science, right? So within there, we, we ended up defining building science as follows. Using architecture, engineering, and systems thinking to design beautiful buildings that achieve practical outcomes. And uh, that last bit, that practical outcomes, that's really where we're gonna start to try to connect um, a few pieces here. Uh, practical outcomes being the big one, right? The, the climate impact and the human one, right? This is the Building Science Podcast and we're always thinking about human factors. And the, human, the systems uh, that deliver healthy indoor air quality to buildings and homes is what we're talking about. And keep in mind, you know, we're discussing outcomes, and those are what you wind up seeing and you wind up experiencing when building science is engaged with in a construction and a design uh, project. But if you really think about what science is, the scientific method is a way of knowing things, right? You go through this empirical testing process to understand how things behave. And building science has the unique, it holds this difficult space, this unique spot where it's trying to take those understandings that are derived in laboratories and big research projects and find some meaningful way that they can be applied to a building for a reasonable cost. And that is a really difficult thing to do (laughs) in its own right. And then as a company that sits in the space of trying to make those applications part of the projects that we touch, it's an even harder space because you necessarily come up against 
obstacles like knowledge, you come up against obstacles like tradition, and you come up against you know, economic obstacles as we, we all do these days. And so that's where this whole expanded view of building science came from because we started to realize through years and years of doing this work that technology is not really so much the issue. There's so many amazing companies and engineers making products that are just mind-blowing in how well they work. Uh, it's about implementing them into society. And that is where the rub really is, because you have to start working with psychology, you have to start working with uh, the kinds of psychology that product marketers have become really good at, but in a way that's not so predatory, right? We, we Going back to the systems thinking, we need to understand uh, how these products are going to operate and function in a larger system, because Everybody wants a digestible, easy sound bite, you know, some media that you can scroll past on Instagram and understand things, or at least feel like you understand things. But the reality is so much messier, and exploring kind of the liminal spaces is even messier still. And that's what this show has really started to move towards. I was thinking back to our early seasons, Christoph, where we just said, all right, let's talk about control layers. I think I can talk about control layers, each one for an hour. And mm -hmm. that's really what those early episodes were. And since then, we've moved into this space where we're interviewing experts uh, in so many unique fields that all intersect in buildings. And that's just so special. Watching you do those interviews <laughs> has been a true joy. Yeah, we've really been growing, uh, growing our own understanding. And I think you said you just said experts. You know, in building science, classic building science is is resting on the shoulders of some some really great men and women that have really moved it forward um, from like not understanding how to get the outcomes to understanding it but it was really focused mainly on like how do you build a good enclosure mm -hmm. right how do you, and a good enclosure was defined as one that lowers the energy use right, right. so thermal of course durability uh, was a big factor the, the whole rain air vapor thermal mm -hmm. um, in which our society seems to get hung up on vapor and want to talk about perm ratings forever but uh, <laughs> getting into expertise right so i think that if there's a theme to uh, where we are in the the business of building science today as a company and as an industry it is how do we get the expertise delivered to the people who need it when they need it right? mm. and this will get into some of our new um, products and services that we offer right but if you think about like how do how do things spread right we, we are living through a pandemic um, how, how do things spread is something that we're all thinking about right like how how do pathogens spread in indoor environments how do pathogens spread in outdoor environments but but mainly indoors. That is an interesting sub, like a microcosm for this whole podcast or this whole, yeah, this, this conversation because um, even before air quality was on everyone's mind, it was on our mind. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the five principles before the pandemic and before it was cool, um, which came from Charlie Wexler. You know, that came from meeting Rich Corsi, who used to be here in Austin and moved on to Oregon and now California. But people like Carrie Kin Kinney, Lindsay Marr, Jeff Siegel, Shelley Miller, you know, I'll leave out more than I can remember. We've been following these people. We, we trusted their expertise. Then the pandemic hit, and they were like, oh, wow, check this out. I can apply my expertise to predict um, how pathogens would spread in that restaurant in China or that cruise ship, right? And lo and behold, when they modeled it as aerosol transmission, they got the outcomes that were measured. 
right? Meanwhile, the, the CDC, I mean, it gets us a little diversion, and they're off to the side, but, you know, the medical sciences and the indoor air scientists were not talking well enough. Right. And what was fundamentally happening was the medical science people, you know, in the CDC and the WHO, were resting on their expertise, but not trusting on adjacent, not not looking to adjacent expertise, not being open-minded enough. And then, boy, we could just bog down in, into the whole political, you know. Yeah, but I, I'm tempted to, but I won't. <laughs> I've spent a fair amount of time, pretty deep into oh, epidemiology right. Twitter and indoor air quality Twitter, and for the last two years, there has just been this all caps. Uh, hashtag that's COVID is airborne and it's a lot of the same people you just mentioned a lot of their colleagues and people who fully realize that we are fundamentally not addressing the biggest levers that we could pull to try and deal with this pandemic in and of course vaccination campaigns are wonderful look at how amazing that technology is but buildings are still impacting this pandemic and they're not being addressed in ways that they really should. Yeah. And it's a true travesty, I think. And, and pandemic aside, anyone listening, please look at indoor space as a health intervention opportunity, right? You can build a building, uh, I mean, let's just be, you can build your living room, a coffee shop, a restaurant, your office to make it such that if Miguel comes in with a cold, I don't get it, right? right. And But we don't, we currently, we currently don't do that. Um, and just to pull it back to the level of business, right? When we, you know, Christoph and I do this show really when we can. That we've tried in the past to monetize this, to turn it into a, a functional business, and you really need to it, to have it be your only job. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out that I'd positive, love this to be my only job. I know it would be so fun if this was our only job. Imagine what we could pull off. Um, but it turns out that Positive Energy has a, a bunch of really smart people providing consulting services and engineering services to actual projects. And, you know, being an entrepreneurial organization like we are and trying to take the most recent findings um, in the science fields, right, and, and, and applying them to buildings, early on in the pandemic, we had the idea that we might model exactly what Christoph was just talking about how pathogens might behave in a space. And we could figure out using some very well-founded maths. Wells-Riley. Well, the Wells-Riley model. How, what, in a certain situation, let's say you have a restaurant or a music venue or uh, a meeting space, Classroom. a school, you could figure out with certain distancing and masking and ventilation scenarios, filtration scenarios, what your relative risk might be of getting COVID in that space. Uh, or not even just COVID, any airborne pathogen, right? Uh, and it was awesome. We were super excited to bring that to life. And then our insurance company said, no, <laughs> you cannot do that. Yeah. But that's just, that goes to show exactly the kind of difficult space it yeah. is to hold if you're trying to operate a business as a building science focused mm -hmm. and oriented company. Yeah. Yeah. So how do things flow? There are constraints to flow that we didn't expect. We, we didn't expect our insurance company to be like, oh, you can't give out health advice. Like, no, no, we're not giving out health advice. We're just talking about air, air physics, atmospheric yep. physics and indoor air chemistry. And yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for queuing that up. So the, getting back to the expertise thing, right? So we all know there are experts, right? The, so, so 
those of you that are listening probably appreciate building science as an expertise, right? And, and know that it's a vast, rich body of knowledge. I mean, you can't even really call it a body of knowledge. You would have to say that there are subsets in it, right? Enclosures and mechanicals, and within mechanicals there could be filtration and humidity control. I mean, on and on and on. You could have specialization of knowledge. And straight up, people call us all the time freaking out, right? And I mean serious <laughs> stuff, right? Like. Uh, like their infant has been taken to the emergency room because we had a lot of rain and their crawl space moisture um, triggered an asthma attack. Right? I mean, serious stuff, right? And in, in less, less bad things like cupped hardwood floors and comfort issues. And, but, you know, these are prickly issues for the owners and we get called in and almost always we're able to resolve them and we get a lot of gratitude. And, you know, your emergency was our normal day at work. Right? Yeah, and that's just the way. Like same for me. Like, um, gosh, I used to work on cars, but uh, you know now I don't have the computers to do it. With. <laughs> Another story there. But you know, doctors, dentists, attorneys. Like we avail ourselves of expertise all the time. But then this pandemic hit, and suddenly, I don't know. Like, am I allowed to say Fox News or I won't say that? But you know, like say a certain popular news channel. A certain popular news channel was suddenly like where you would go instead of talking to an epidemiologist or, you know, an atmospheric chemist, right? So it's been just boggling my mind, um, you know, to, to think about as a society we're facing this serious challenge and yet we resist taking the information from the people who have made it their life's work to have the appropriate knowledge to help us. Um, and we also live in an age where um, influencer culture has become its own thing, and expertise is not always undergirding uh, an influencer's <laughs> popularity, and across any topic that you can think of. But just by virtue of having a lot of followers on the internet does not make you someone who right. should be turned to for important information about. Yeah, and, and so just touching on that, the, the contrarian view is not always the correct view, right? That we seem to think that it is. Like I, like I love Henry Gifford, but every time I talk to him, he has some sort of other little facet. I hope we interview him soon. But you know, he took on USGBC, the contrarian view. Um, he did. And sometimes it's right, but we're in a space right now where it's like, it's always right. <laughs> you know? And, okay, so coming back to the center here, we're talking about the business of building science, we're talking about how things flow, and where those two things converge is, uh, frankly, like uh, the back of our new t-shirts, it says, at the convergence of architecture and engineering, right? So this is the space where you use science and math to design and build beautiful, architecturally mind-blowing buildings that do what? That achieve practical outcomes, mm -hmm. like healthy indoor air, like energy efficiency, like durability, like low embodied carbon. Um, so we're using science and math to, math to do these things. We, we're kind of proudly positioning our company at this convergence of architecture and engineering. But I want to tell you guys, from a business model perspective, it is a hard place to go. <laughs> it is not a comfortable um, space to occupy because, well, there's lots of reasons. I'll just touch on one. Miguel's face is lighting up here. One of them is um, you are, you're actually challenging people's expertise because their expertise might be, I know how to, to, to do this choreography of, of design process, right? Well, we've arrived at a space where the choreography of the architectural and engineering design process itself 
is something that needs to be thought of a technology that can evolve and mature and, and lead to new outcomes. So what we've done is, as a company, we've really tried to step back and to say, how can we influence these projects earlier um, before the client has swooned, right? And before, or, or while the design expression is still fluid and adaptable. And just to give you a little background on how we arrived at this place to begin with, when Positive Energy was still a little baby company, uh, we were doing all kinds of consulting, energy auditing, diagnostic testing work, and uh, building relationships, for sure, in Austin, but often we were chasing the tail. We were, we were at the end of something mm -hmm. and discovering a problem. And you know that's its own kind of logistical and structural uh, issue within the choreography of a project, but also just on an emotional level as a human being, being the person who shows up and consistently is delivering bad news uh, is a very no, tough thing to do. You and don't want to do it. You know the whole "don't kill the messenger" thing is definitely something that you you start to appreciate whenever you're doing that work because yeah. you're just there telling the truth. That's yeah. it and people get really mad about it. Um, and so we started to look at, well, what are the other ways we could intervene in an existing process that could make an impact? And at the time, um, we saw that in residential projects, especially you know, single-family homes, nobody was really doing mechanical design in any meaningful way. And we said, well, we could do that. Let's try it. Let's see what that looks like. I'm an engineer. <laughs> yeah. And people told us that we were totally insane, especially with the kind of level of detail and robustness with which we wanted to take this design process and for the things that we were asking of them, like more space for yeah. this. And you need these systems that you probably have never used before. And people just said, you guys are... You know, and way too passionate. Way too passionate. <laughs> I can remember several architects like, man, you're really into this. And like, <laughs> you don't come across, you don't read like an engineer. Like, right. you really care. But, you know, like getting back to his thing about the consulting, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like you're t like building a building, like cooking a recipe, right? We would go in, you know, we get to taste the building, we get to taste the recipe, and there's way too much salt in it. Right. Well, you know what? There's way too much salt in it, and it is now too late to take it out, yep. right? Like, so the building, had like it was done it was built and we'd come in and it was humid completely humid now there are things you can do you can dehumidify <laughs> but the space to put those systems the time you know the convenient time had already passed and so there are myriad ways in which as building science consultants we would find ourselves face to face with a building in which all the good solutions were already water under the bridge, right? You know, those outcomes <laughs> had already been constrained out and we were looking to, you know, low first cost and visual place spatial aesthetics and reliance on, you know, the, the trades that like cheap parts, cheap labor, exploitable labor, um, yeah, systems are systems. Absolutely. Systems of systems. <laughs> and, you know, we started as we moved away from that and started leaning into the engineering side of things, gradually through time, we would pick up uh, a plumbing design or an electrical design, uh, or somebody would have some questions about solar. And so we sort of held this interesting space where we knew a lot about building, we knew a lot about walls, we knew about how they mitigate heat, air, and moisture, we knew a lot about mechanical systems and how they work and where they could go in, ha in houses. Uh, and that 
turned into a very functional business unit and we were thriving. We were picking up new projects, not just here in Austin, but growing our presence in many other markets in, in North America, doing international work. And we, I would say we built our, our reputation largely on those projects. Mm -hmm. we, we had so many beautiful, uh, really fantastic projects. And we also had lots that we learned really good lessons on. And it, we, we weren't satisfied with just stopping there. We said, well, okay, well, what else yeah, yeah. <laughs> can we do? And, and we realized that as we were getting into these engineering projects, even getting in, you know, mid DD design development, right, for, with an architectural uh, firm, sometimes that was too late to even allocate space. Sometimes that was too late for them to go back and, and get a different wall assembly put in place. Sometimes that was too late uh, to really claw back uh, a window that might be very problematic from a thermal perspective, um, but that the client had already fallen in love with, right? So these were the challenges, and we said, well, we need to be involved earlier. We need to, and maybe di direct into engineering was not the, the right move, but some way that we could give meaningful feedback to the architectural design process earlier than it comes to us as an engineering firm. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where we've arrived. Dun, da, da, da. Well, actually, 2018, 2019, mm -hmm. we started birthing this. And uh, here we are three, four years later. And it's maturing, and it's super exciting. But before we go into that, this is our performance consulting, our you know, more like our directly uh, applicable to sustainability and new outcomes. Because you know we haven't talked about the climate crisis yet. We're getting there. We'll get there. So, But I want to go back, and I want to say you know, thank you. It's, it's not like. Thank you for our early clients, right? We were not just uh, wandering in the weeds looking for our golf ball. We were working in the industry with thoughtful people that were, were implicitly telling us their pain points. They were, they were saying, um, I would like to get better filtration. I would like to have better air quality, is what they're saying, in my building. And it's like, well, you need a better filter, and you need it to be on when you're not just heating and cooling, and you need to keep the air dry. But the point is, like, had we not gone through um, frankly, had it's like Aikido. Had we not connected to the industry where it was, we would have had no agency to try to redirect it. And that is our, our heartfelt goal, right? Is to help society avail itself of the existing expertise that knows how to make buildings that can be uh, comfortable and healthy and durable and um, resilient, frankly. That's a big one. And not take down the planet in the process, yeah. right? So, and there's, there's so much psychology in there. There's so much. Um, we are implicitly, not implicitly, explicitly, humans working with humans. And so Miguel just mentioned the word relationship. There is nothing more powerful in this world. There's nothing more uh, impactful than the force of two human minds that connect or several human minds that, that share a vision and, and truly work toward that. And so what's had to happen or what's happened over time is we have found ourselves getting lots of repeat work from a subset of architects that really protect and respect their own design process and, and frankly, don't let the, the clients hijack it, right? You know, we've talked about this in the past, right? You Google buy a car and someone's thought about the myriad details. The owner of the car doesn't get to say, I don't want the metal braided brake line, I want rubber brake lines, right? So, you know, <laughs> the, the people with the expertise made the decisions. It is, it is frankly a little bit cuckoo, incredibly common for an owner who's thinking, you know, I want blue walls 
and I want this color countertop, and I want my bathroom arranged this way. To also get to pick the MERV rating, whether or not there's a dehumidifier, how the ventilation system functions, whether there's an ERV. But this is what happens. This is the current state of the industry, and it takes a lot of, um, I don't know, I guess resolve, a good sense of humor, um, patience, and you know, patience is killer when you're when you're operating a business. We would we would ask for a few hundred at first, and then a few thousand dollars, and we would end up being like counselors to these project teams. <laughs> like, well, that is that's an interesting perspective. It's it's not the accurate perspective. Let me explain what a you know environmental separator is, and da da da. So. Um, yeah, I've gone. No, that's a really interesting kind of dynamic that people may not be aware of in our audience. But you know, we started out um, as a, a pretty inexpensive option, and then the more that we learned through time about what we were doing and how to do it effectively, we naturally moved toward this high end of the market. Yeah. And it was a real challenge for us, you know, on a philosophical level, because it's like. Well, we want to make big impact, right? We want to really be able to affect change in a meaningful way. And it's hard to do that when you're just working on the kinds of houses that you see in Dwell Magazine um, or some big architectural publication. Right. But at the end of the day, what it has allowed Positive Energy to do is innovate in really interesting ways. We have, as you say, uh, said, Christoph, worked on phenomenal project teams that are actually trying to do things very differently. Uh, and their budgets are certainly there to do it. So we get to play in this proving ground for things that you know uh, the average homeowner may not be able to do whenever they're uh, thinking about their retirement home, even if it's like the, the final one, the really yeah. nice one that they're spending lots of money the on. The forever home. The forever home. But what that's, that space has given us is the ability to take on passion projects, right? Because we can do that. And yeah. we know that the fees are not going to be the same, but we can certainly do that. Um, we've got to really lean into uh, organizations like Passive House uh, and, and support those efforts. We really got to lean into organizations like the Committee on the Environment and try and shape the culture of architecture at the level of its professional organization. Um, and it's allowed us to do this show, too, which is a way for us to make a big impact uh, because for whatever reason, y'all keep listening to this, um, which is just very humbling. I look at the numbers sometimes and I'm just shocked that there are this many nerds. And the letters, <laughs> the, the letters, the, the career changes, the emails, yeah, it's 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 awesome. Did I cut you off? I don't no, wanna... that's perfect. Yeah, yeah I, I want to just make a comment. So we're going to be talking about some of the new services we're doing briefly, um, not a commercial, but really from the business perspective. And I'm going to go very candid with you, public, right now, the, the listeners. Um, as a business owner, there have been plenty of dark nights of the soul here at Positive Energy you know, HQ, which is uh, my wife Diane and I at home. <laughs> um, in fact, the business was in our home, my master bedroom. I moved out of that for a while and put some desks in it. But um, it's a lean, it has been a lean uh, time financially. Um, had it not been the case that I was a builder in Austin and we picked up a bunch of rental properties that we have sold into an like amazing and, and fairly cuckoo market here in Austin, um, we would not be here to live to fight another day. And, and, and to this day, our company still says, all right, you know, we're going to create a culture of kindness, we're going to pay our employees well, we're going to have really good benefits, we're going to do all these things that are our, our hearts longing, our aspiration on how a company should be set up, and we're going to hope to live to fight another day. There is this sense of like, oh, my retirement plans are starting to become prominent for me because I'm, I'm in my 50s. But if you think about, think about building science right now. Think about the building science consultants you know. 
there are really two main flavors, right? There are the few, and keep in mind, few big established firms that you know of that get contracts with typically larger commercial projects or contracts with the DOE. And then there's the other one that was all too common. It was the only one that was in Austin, which is some person retired with building science knowledge, hard-earned, and they offer it on the side, right? Or they offer it for free. We have some builders now that just offer it for free locally. Well, that is great, right? Having building science expertise available is important. But what we need is we need like an institution in society, in the AEC industry, to which you can turn day after day, year after year, and it's not just one guy working spare time helping a few friends, right? This was really my wife and my kind of goal, our insight was, I mean, frankly, we had a, we had a child up in uh, Pflugerville, a family with a few kids, and there was this little baby getting asthma, brothers and sisters had asthma, and we were able to help them, and we got this incredible handwritten letter, I don't know where it is, from the mom, and that was a turning point, right? That was a real lean time financially where we, I think we got paid like $350 to wow. go up and do blower door and duck blast and walk around the house. And we just realized this is so important. Oh, we were like the fourth person in, right? She had been sold a new air handler, a new outdoor unit, a bunch of new filters. Um, what she had was a, a air handler closet in the garage where most of the sides faced the garage and she was pulling in gas fumes and uh, moldy grass clippings. Her, her husband ran a uh, mowing company. But anyway, the, the point from the business perspective was, is currently, um, the business model for building science is really um, dependent on an ownership team that says, I am gonna take the long view. I am gonna take an ethical stance. I, I am not in this for the money. I'm certainly not in this for the quick money. Um, I'm really lucky, I mean, I'm looking at Miguel right now. I love the people I work with, right? I couldn't be more grateful to the hearts and minds and the connections you know, that we have here at the company. It's, you know, we're as close as we can be to a family. We have a coworker out today because his father's having um, triple bypass. And, you know, he was saying how his mom was hopefully gonna have enough time off and his sister didn't have any more time off because her husband had gotten sick early on. But that we were just saying, you go, do what you need to do. We got your back here, we'll, we'll cover you. You know, and that's huge, right? That, that's how I believe society and employment should be set up. And so I guess that's a roundabout way of saying, like, if you wanna know why there aren't a lot of building science firms, it's because it's a challenging business model, psychologically, financially. Um, psychologically, because you often are the only one in the room with like this kind of really big picture system of systems perspective. Even understanding like why it was that the installing contractor did the mechanical design that way, which is because that's the only way you can do it profitably. And they were asked for how fast and how cheap can it be, right? So there's no like, you know, insidious evil person doing some wrong action. That culture that you've described has been the incubator for really fresh, really well-vetted and thoughtful approaches to the new services that we have. And it couldn't, like, frankly, these would not exist without the team that we have. No. I don't think that they could uh, organically pop up in another environment. They came to be because we have the minds and the environment that we do here at Positive Energy. Um, and it's really an exciting time for us to, to 
to be doing this because we're seeing it take off and we're seeing it really provide a lot of value for services or for we're seeing it provide a lot of value for project teams. Uh, so Christoph, let's just tell them. Let's go into. Let's it. tell them what they are. What are we doing? Yeah, so we're doing performance consulting. We're doing uh, consulting early, early in the process. So as you, the architect or the owner, are starting to do massing and starting to develop concepts like how many rooms, how big is this building, which way is it facing, how many holes are in the walls, you know, how much windows, how much glazing. Well, at that level, we can do modeling. We can say, um, well, you're going to have glare in this room. Well, you're going to have thermal comfort problems in this room. Or you're going to have fantastic lighting in this room, right? We're going we're gonna to be able to, to, in real time, like these slider bars that change the, the um, day of the year and then the time of the day, right? We could just move through a year. So The most logical way that we found to, to organize this approach, this modeled approach to understanding performance very early is to break it out into three camps. And this is sort of, you'll, you'll follow the logic in the way that you might think about a building, right? The first layer of defense that you need to focus on are the passive systems of your house. We're talking about walls, we're talking about windows, we're talking about the elements of a home that are not going to move, but that have tremendous impact on the thermal experience of the home, have tremendous impact on the visual experience of the home, and have tremendous impact on the energy use of the home, frankly. And so that's what our passive uh, systems consulting looks like, is we get in with a model and we help architects understand what those impacts might look like for a client. And the great thing about that is that we do it early enough that they haven't presented a concept to the, the client in most of these cases. And so when they say, oh, do you think that Western uh, wall of glass is going to be a problem? We can say, absolutely, we need to change that. And we get to find specific ways that we can improve that. And nobody has fallen in love with it yet, so nobody's sad when it goes away. Yeah. And then you start with a better baseline, which is tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a couple of examples here. One is, um, you know, I don't think it'll be a surprise to you. You can cover your uh, mouth in shocked, uh, a mock horror <laughs> that um, our industry is in, is in a love affair with lots of glazing, right? Large expanses of glass. And so you do a large expanse of west-facing glazing, and you know you get to see the sunset, but you model it from uh, glare perspective. Let's just say you, you model, you know, from from that angle. And there have been projects where the owner really wanted these things. We, we really look at the passive systems consulting as architect-facing, like we're the in-house kind of sustainability department or design optimization department, functional design for that building. Um, so we're doing the passive systems consulting. There have been projects where the owner is in the room. <laughs> the owner has brought us in to work with his or her architecture team, and then we're showing this data in live, right? And you can bet you that the owner is like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, how many lux is it that I put sunglasses on? And you know, we'll say, oh, it's like 2,000 or something. I, actually, I don't remember the number. But that the room is beyond that, right? right? So like, do you want to rack on the wall in your living room where you're going to keep the sunglasses? Yeah. Or, or how, where are you going to put your TV in this room? And interestingly, do, we've also had the opposite situation happen where the owner brought us in um, and was dead set on building just a bomber passive house. This is a project in Arkansas. And going through this exercise, we were actually, he was 
instructing the architecture team to be very conservative with how much glass they put on, right? So meet, both meet the passive house um, standard, but also make sure that we're not letting in any, any undue thermal energy. And what we wound up finding going through this modeling process was, with him is that you, know, you can actually afford to put in quite a bit more glass uh, in really optimal locations to improve the, the daylight autonomy of your home. Uh, without changing much of the thermal dynamics. And he, they were just so thrilled with that because suddenly they could let in more daylight, right? And, and this was a very aggressive um, performance goal that they were up against. And they, they got to, as you say, optimize it in a way that yeah. wound up with a better outcome than it would have. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, so wrapping that up, that's passive systems consulting, and that should happen early on. We think of it as an architect-facing service, but it, it can be client involvement can be client facing and it's fundamentally looking at the enclosure from the perspective of visual comfort of uh, thermal comfort right so we can do mean radiant temperature analyses early on and for, of course from energy and carbon from that that perspective and so and guess what big expanses of glazing have big impact on energy use <laughs> operational energy use as well as embodied carbon I mean so the the next um, Kind of pair, so we, we sell these together, and the next pairing in uh, this suite of performance consulting services is the resilient systems consulting, and that deals with energy and with water, right? What are your energy systems on site, and what are you going to do with them? And the same goes for water. What are your water resources on site, and what are you going to do with them? And the reason that we do this in tandem with the passive systems is that in order to know what you're going to do with your energy resources and what you can do with them uh, is really dependent on what your walls are made out of and how your, your home's actually going to perform um, from a thermal and energy use perspective. So they naturally fit together. Um, and the resilient systems scope tends to be kind of a straddled uh, client-facing, architect-facing service. Mm -hmm. um, why don't you tell them a little bit more about why that is? Well, it's uh, fundamentally the, arch the architecture team, the construction team, is going to be able to pull levers to achieve different outcomes, but it is the owner that needs to say, look, I want seven days. I want three days. Um, I'm willing to move into the garage apartment, and then I want... 10 days of backup or something like that. But um, it is fundamentally both. This one is, it starts as, you know, using some architecture um, jargon, right? It starts as a detailed intake interview with the owner where we hear the owner's project requirements, right? These are qualitative, these are implicitly outcome focused uh, messages that we translate those into a basis of design. Uh, and we translate those into a basis of design we try to be clever here um, in the sense that we don't want, we can and we have offered complete designs for energy and water systems, for resilient energy and water systems, you know, including battery backup and on-site energy production. But what we really want to do is we want to say, does this architectural design have the ability to provision itself with freely arriving flows of energy and water and use them in, in great ways, right? So does it have that capability, that is an architectural design question. Like, did I leave room for the batteries? Are there roof surfaces that are exposed to solar? If I want wind, uh, if I want, um, I don't know, cordwood boilers, uh, which is not necessarily a great thing for air quality. But 
there are all kinds of perspectives that um, that frankly need to shift. Right? I'll make two quick comments here. One is everyone listening. The last 50 years of experience that we have as a society connecting our buildings to energy and water grids do not reflect the next 50 years in terms of quality of those services, reliability of those services, and cost of those services. So let's just get that on the table right now. You can't use tradition here as, as your backup, right? And, and this is a problem, right? Electrification is necessary. Global electrification of end-use loads is a very important um, necessary. We need to, you know, this is architecture 2030. We need to move to this direction as fast as we can. And yet, installing contractors are not ready, right? They love their boilers. They love their gas furnaces. We need to shape, we, we intend with our resilient systems performance consulting to provide a roadmap, a recipe, a, a set of analyses. And we can permute, we can do parametric analyses to show you, okay, you need an 8KW array that fits on this roof. Your batteries are going to go here. You can also have a generator as another source of, of backup power, right? But what we're doing is we're stopping at that 8KW array size and we're saying, now go hire an installing contractor who is going to say, and here's the panel type and here's the inverter type I want to use. Because they absolutely need to. Um, bring in local distribution networks and local expertise and say, okay, here's the best way to make that real. Yeah. Well, but, and the same goes for water, you know. Oh, yeah. Understanding how far do you want to take water capture? Is that coming from uh, rain? Is that coming from a well? Uh, to what level of filtration do you need to actually condition that water so that you can use it for potability? Is it just for landscaping? Where are the tanks going to live? But again, we're stopping short of engineering. We're trying to provide a really clear roadmap of where those things need to be. And it makes sense to do that early because that is when the infrastructure can be accounted for. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just dovetailing in there. So we are now a very robust, mature MEP shop, Positive Energy is, that also has this sustainability consulting, performance consulting wing. It's basically like you know, two wings of an airplane there. And these two bodies of expertise, of course, interact with each other and intertwine with each other. When it comes to resilient energy systems, uh, it interfa interfaces with the E in MEP, the electrical system design. And we have, as far as we know, made up uh, a new service. Actually, some, some builders asked us for it yeah, originally. That's right. And it's, we call it the electrical master plan. And um, to contrast it with the standard E in an MEP, the standard E will start with your electrical panel and it'll move through the building, powering circuits, uh, plugs, lights, appliances, right? So it starts at the panel and moves into the building. In a residential context, it's largely ignored by the electricians. Uh, we've been told that many times. Our E is an electrical master plan, and what it does is it starts with the disparate energy sources available to the building site, right, which is the grid connection. We certainly can't rule that out. It could be a generator. It certainly can be a solar panel. It can certainly be a battery, electrochemical storage. It could be a thermal storage tank, right? So we would start with, well, for the electrical master plan, it would just be the electrical. It wouldn't be the thermal tank. But we start with those, and we say, where are those services? How much space do they need? How much energy will be flowing from them to other places on the site? How should it be routed? Where should the pull boxes go? What size conductor? So what we're doing is we're saying, here's your site. Let's get you a scaled 
electrical master plan showing how it's going to move energy around during outages and during you know fair weather times. Yeah, and you're you're probably starting to see how all of these services necessarily dovetail into one another and support one another. It's the same with the final consulting offering that we have in this performance consulting suite, which is the active systems. And this is similarly to the electrical master plan and the resilient systems, this is a precursor to the mechanical design. Yep. Its goal is to essentially support the architecture team when the model is still pretty fluid in understanding a mechanical program. In the same way that they're programming the, the house to function for the family's criteria, they also need to think about where do those systems go? What kinds of clearances do I need to make sure I'm allotting? Uh, when I put those systems somewhere, have I put them in a place that is going to be difficult to get out of with ductwork from a structural perspective? Uh, what general system configuration are we thinking about here? And this allows the architect to not only create those spaces, have a clear understanding and roadmap for what systems are going to be used, but also to have talking points for those problematic clients who mm -hmm. are saying, well, why do I need this, right? Yeah. People always want, like, well, can you just give me a, a, like a quick sheet that I can refer to and, and use some talking points with clients? Well, that's what this is. And <laughs> you get the, the value of actually having the programming done for your yeah. specific building. Um, and it, we just stop short of, of mechanical engineering. We're not doing uh, super specific uh, equipment selection. We're not doing super specific loads. Uh, but what we are doing is getting in striking range of what we think, based on our expertise and based on uh, the modeling that we're doing, what we think is going to wind up being the system for this house. Yep, yeah. And this is another example, again, of, um, well, frankly, business model innovation being informed by other aspects of the same business, right? So. We, we would sell a given client a mechanical design and we would do the intake meeting and um, to use the restaurant metaphor again, you know, we cook a certain type of uh, system, right? Certain type, we cook a certain type of food here and we need to find out are they in the right restaurant, right? Do they want Thai food or do they want uh, Mexican food or do, you know, do they want a big old steak? Like what kind of um, meal are we cooking? We would bog down hour after hour after hour comparing and contrasting. I mean, clients will ask you for basically like master's, you know, thesis <laughs> quality <laughs> comparisons between ground source and air source. And we realize these are valid questions. These questions are coming up, right? What kind of basic system configuration and methodology do, do we want to propose here to the client? What, what is appropriate here? Put it that way. And so given that those things came up, and given that we did not put in a huge budget in our mechanical design, right? Keep in mind, mechanical design is mechanical design. We, we would run the heating and ventilation and cooling and dehumidification load calculations. We will select equipment and integrate it into your building. That was our goal. And we would get kind of our knees taken out at step one, which is like, well, Tell me why a split DX with a gas furnace, you know, a la 1980s is alive and well, is not what I want, right? And we, <laughs> and we, we had had success. We've, we've helped VRF make its way into central Texas and beyond. Uh, dedicated dehumidification is now common, and we have had potty mouth uh, from the audience telling us how effing crazy we are to think <laughs> that. Um, we, we're pushing for ERVs, we're pushing for HEPA filtration now, and we're getting a lot of uh, heated or, uh, let's say, uh, animated feedback on that. Um, we are absolutely delivering in, in other markets uh, and, and hopefully here soon 
full hydronic system designs with thermal storage. You know, we've even talked to some of our clients about putting phase change materials in their thermal tanks. And um, super exciting to be out there on the edge, that front edge. But really, when it comes to the MEP, we want to make sure we're designing the right type of system for that project. And that's where the Active Systems Consulting came in. It's, it's something like a concept design um, for the system, as well as it kind of leapfrogs the middle. It says concept design and does your architecture have enough space to fit these, dis these, these sets of equipment and these distribution systems that you're definitely going to need. Yeah, some of you are probably laughing when you think about the, your experiences with designs that you know have uh, a single mechanical closet in a bottom corner of a basement somewhere and that apparently needs to distribute to the entire house. How are you going to do that? Uh, and the problem that we kept running into was that clients had seen a floor plan, right? And so suddenly when you're asking for mechanical space, you're not just asking for mechanical space, you're asking for something else that the client loves has that now has to be taken away. So is their master bedroom getting smaller? Is their master closet getting smaller? What is it? that they're not gonna have anymore. And that is a very difficult conversation, whereas just fixing it whenever the model's still fluid is very easy. It's yeah. so nice and just tucks in nicely. And, and how many projects have we been on now where you just hear, oh yeah, that was great. I wish we had done that before. Yeah. And that's just so inspiring and exciting to hear. And back to your point, Christoph, you know, this is business model innovation in the building science field, and we have no idea if it's gonna work. Uh, it's not like this super sturdy, tested idea. We've, we've got some data, we've done some projects, and they have gone really well. Yeah, we it seems to be on the right trajectory, but it's an unknown, just like our business has been since day one. It is a strange and, and goofy place that we have put ourselves, but we keep hearing back from you guys who listen, and we keep hearing back from project teams that this stuff makes sense, and the problems that we get to start solving when we're all aligned in how we're approaching this design process, suddenly those get to change because there's more space to actually talk about things like carbon. There's more space to talk about things like electrification. There's more space to talk about things like health when you're not having to argue about whether or not a gas furnace is a good idea. Right. It's a different baseline. And that's been a real transformation that I've seen on our projects since we started offering these. And we are working on a lot of projects that simply use both sides of our business. They're not just doing MEP, they're not just doing performance consulting, they're doing the whole thing. Yeah. And so we stick with that team for a long time and it's just wonderful to see those Yeah, we know the project grow. inside now. Yeah. yeah, and the the conversations and the knowledge that's shared between the teams is something that's really special. Yeah, yeah, and I think you guys, those of you that work with your engineers right now, you'll know the face, you'll know the vibe in the room or on the Zoom call when you start to ask reasonable questions that are in fact reasonable, but were not in fact considered to be part of the scope of the engineer, right? Like, so when you hire an engineer, typically you hire them to do a design. So, you know, actually, the installers do designs, right? But they they jump right to the conclusion of you want this type of system, right? Split DX gas furnace is not uncommon, right? So, it's a very different um, vibe, and it leads to very different outcomes when you're talking to a passionate engineering and sustainability-minded team where your questions are in fact the scope of work they expected. And like, I am here to answer these questions now. That's what these performance consulting services are for, right? That's what this is for. We want to do this one thing and make it right. Um, I think 
kind of my last comment. I mean, going into electrification evangelism is huge. I'll just make one comment there and then wrap up with another one. Electrification is incredibly necessary. It is a, a fundamental feature of the future of having our global economic activity dependent not on burning fuels, but on technologies, right? So wind and solar are technologies. The uh, source energy is elsewhere. And, and yet, it is not an easy thing because what you're asking an industry to do is to rethink traditional practices. And here we are at a time with the pandemic where, like it or not, it's starting to get through every one of us, through our thick skulls, that everything has changed. Right? This is a multi-trillion dollar impact on the global economy. It's a multi-trillion dollar impact just on the U.S. economy. The pandemic is, is asking us to, to see in real time that we have hit a defining moment in our time on this planet, you know, in our lives. And yet we don't want to see that. That's a painful place to go. And here it is in the AAC industry before the pandemic, but the same sort of emotional underpinning of business as usual can no longer be business as usual. Um, that is an inconvenient reality. And it is actually like an, we have like an emotional dissonance, an emotional deterrence. We push that away. Well, electrification is just like a microcosm of, of, the, of this overall change. And we have had, um, gosh, we've had situations where we're, we're literally arguing or, or uh, debating the merits of a gas furnace uh, or a gas boiler. You know, Pacific Northwest, it loves their gas boilers, right? And, um, Yet they're very progressive and want to move to heat pumps ideologically, but where the rubber meets the road is the installer, and they're still, like, they haven't gotten the memo, right? They still go to the same distributors, they still have the same understanding of market dynamics and market pricing. So, so here's the big win, right? Like, you have that conversation, you get to the end of it, the installing contractor says, wow, I didn't realize that. I didn't have these dimensions of this decision in mind when I was making my recommendations. Well, that is like, and I'm not kidding, I, I get goosebumps, right? Like that is the big win because you've just shifted perspective. You've just changed a paradigm. You've just changed that person, that entity inter interfacing with the AEC industry. You've changed their relationship with what they do forever. And in, in a similar way, we've had architects, like big develop, you know, architects that work with big developers that bring us in and say, Let, let's do a resilient systems analysis. And at the midway or the end meeting, they'll be going, wow, I had no idea that solar and storage was currently so economically viable. I had no idea. You know, you just want to high five, because like you, just haven't, you haven't just affected that project. You've affected every project that that firm is going to touch. right? So this is the power of business model innovation. And honestly, you know, bringing it back to this podcast, this is what we hope our episodes wind up shaking out as you're listening to these things. We want these conversations to be enabling conversations for you. We want them to spur new ideas. We want to hear from you uh, about the ideas that you have, the work that you're up to. And the next year, we have no idea how many episodes we're going to put out there. We're going to put out as many as we can. And we're hopeful that it's more than last year because last year was a pretty lean year. But we, we still got some out there. Uh, and we, we really hope that the conversations help you see something in a new way. We hope that they help you feel empowered in your conversations 
regardless of your scope in this industry. Whether you're an owner, whether you're uh, an installer, whether you work at a manufacturer, uh, whether you're a builder, you have tremendous power. You just have to know how to use it. And I'm excited about this year, Christophe. I hope we get into some weird topics that are not very traditionally building science-y, and I hope that we get to put those out in the world forever. Me too, man. Yeah, thank you. And those of you listening, this is my 25th year in Texas. You're going to start to hear me use (laughs) y'all. And I just want to say to uh, all y'all in the passive house world, in the AIA world, It has been a a conscious, a deliberate period of of something like swimming underwater. We have been growing and hiring, redefining business systems. We moved into a new office, and then snowpocalypse flooded it, so we remodeled it. Pandemic, while that was all going on. (laughs) Pandemic, yeah. Supporting our our staff psychologically during this time. so yeah, you know, I hope that we are emerging from that time, all of us, psychologically, and I hope that we can emerge from it with our game face on, with our sense of um, both poignancy and, and clear resolve that what we're doing is important and that what we're doing in the AEC industry, in our various roles, or even as owners, um, it is to be based on outcomes, it should be based on expertise, and it should be seen as an opportunity and not just a um, hassle. Well said. And I'll, I'll end with the idea, I'll, I'll put an idea out there, that this painful time that we've all gone through on this planet together and that we will likely continue going through in some capacity, whether that has to do with pan- this pandemic, a future pandemic, or climate change, there is meaningful work that can come out of those painful times. We can transform that suffering into work that helps people, that helps the people that we live in community with, that helps people that we may never meet in our entire lives. And that's really exciting, and I hope that this podcast has some small role in that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And I think it, we just had an auspicious sign. There is a beautiful little ladybug crawling right next to Miguel right now up the wall. Oh, there you go. As he was saying these aspirational goals. I think it's a sign. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. Take care.